Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Ah, thank you so much, worship team. My cup's already overflowing, to be honest with you, uh, for sure. What a wonderful service it's been. So excited to see all of you who are here, uh, IRL, as the young people say. Uh, and for those of you who are watching online, thank you. I'm just excited and gratified. I'm positive we have people all over the world watching online. I want to ask a favor of you who are watching online. Why? Because uh, we want to get the, the word out and the message out from Hashem. If you're watching online, please do us a favor. It would be a real blessing. Reach down and just click on the like button, the subscribe button, the notification button. Any of those three would be great, especially the like button. We would really appreciate that. That way, uh, it'll tend to get recommended a little bit more and more people will hear the good news. The good news, amen? And so thank you so much, those of you who are watching online. And of course, those of you who are here today as well. Well, uh, I've got, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, today what I have for you is, is I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture. I'm going to paint a, a picture, but it's going to be a really big picture. Um, and, and it will all kind of come together. So work with me on this, this, this picture, if you will. Um, this year, as I typically do, Around this time of year, I spent a large time, a large amount of time, rereading the story of Yom Kippur in the Bible. The story of Yom Kippur in the Bible is very extensive, and there are many nuanced practices that are articulated in Leviticus chapter 16, which is which is the main Yom Kippur chapter. It's it's so interesting because as you read about Yom Kippur versus Rosh Hashanah in the Torah. Wow, there's a dramatic difference in the amount of detail that's given. Rosh Hashanah is like, celebrate the, the, the Yom Teruah, and it's a Shabbat. And, and not too much else. I mean, you got the blowing of shofar. Not too much. Man, Yom Kippur, wow, it is detailed, and it's a lot of stuff that's to be done. On Yom Kippur, on Yom Kippur, and I always enjoy reading it and studying it and looking for insights. And this year, I dug back deep into it as I like to do, and I read the more elaborative Talmudic descriptions of the rites on the Day of Atonement, which are kind of uh, expounded upon uh, in the Talmud and such, uh, and, uh, and also, of course, the core that is in the Torah itself is extensive in Leviticus chapter 16. And as I was seeking the Lord as to what He has for us this year, something began to stand out to me. And it became 
some dots started connecting for me. And I want to share with you these dots. So if you'd like to turn ahead, you can start in Leviticus chapter 16. Because first we need some background. Before I can kind of paint this big picture for you, we got to understand a little, a few of the details that are in the more detailed part of the, of the picture, if, if you will. Uh, so, and that's some background. And the fundamentals of the Yom Kippur service and the Yom Kippur ceremonies and rites that are articulated in Leviticus chapter 16 that were, or that were, they were around during the time of the, the tabernacle, the, the temple, if you will. Wow, if you read everything going on, we're going to read part of it today. They were very, very detailed and at times seemingly kind of archaic maybe and, and at times quite graphic. And they were very specific, and seem in, they seem in so many ways. As you read Leviticus 16, everything that was done on Yom Kippur, as I reflect upon it today, you know, many thousands of years later, it seems in so many ways to have absolutely nothing to do with a modern society such as ours. It seems so incredibly foreign it wouldn't as much in the day have seemed so foreign when there were these kinds of things in different ways for different pagan gods and all. But, but as we look back on it now and as we think about it, it just seems so foreign and, and, uh, and, and kind of rough, to be honest with you. Let's, let's read part of the story so I can illustrate this. Leviticus 16, we'll go to verse 11. This is part of what is to happen on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which, remember, is an everlasting uh, command. Verse 11. Uh, also, Aaron, Aaron, the high priest, Aaron is to present the bowl of a sin offering, which is for himself, and so make atonement for himself and his house. Okay, so there's an atonement for him before he makes atonement for the, all the children of Israel. He is to slaughter the bowl of the sin offering which is for himself. He is to take a fire pan full of coals of fire from off the altar before Adonai, plus two handfuls of sweet powdered incense, and bring it within the curtain. We're talking about the, the Holy of Holies at this point where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? Verse 13, then he is to put the incense on the fire before Adonai so that the cloud of the incense may cover the, the atonement cover that is on the ark. This is the, the mercy seat that's on the, the covering of the ark of the covenant so that he would not die. Verse 14, he is then to take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the atonement cover on the east side. Before the atonement cover, he is to sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Verse 15, then he is to slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood behind the curtain, and do with it as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it upon the atonement cover and before the atonement cover. Skipping down a couple verses to verse 18. Then he is to go out to the altar that is before Adonai and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and dab it around on the horns of the altar. 
Wow. When I read that, pretty graphic. It really is. It's pretty graphic. Um, <laughs> it's not something that your homeowners association would approve of. <laughs> Try going to your homeowners association and say, I got this little ceremony I'd like to do in the backyard. Uh, do you approve of this? <laughs> Can you even imagine? I mean, we, we read about these things as people of faith, and for those of us who have been following God for some time, but it's just objectively, wow, what is all that? All this blood. It, it seems foreign to us. It seems it doesn't make sense in some ways. It sounds kind of austere. It sounds maybe perhaps a bit harsh. And... As if you follow along in the rites and the rituals, and I didn't go over all of them, but at this point then, the, the high priest lays his hands on what's known as the scapegoat, right, and confesses over it and sends it into the wilderness, and traditionally, that's where it met its end also. Okay, eesh. Well, now you know a little more why a lot of people don't typically read Leviticus. <laughs> I mean... Let's face it, the whole book of Leviticus is full of some very unusual stuff. If you read the book of Leviticus, it's like chapter after chapter, there's some odd stuff in there. But I want to talk a little bit about Leviticus because I think it's going to give us a picture of something that is going to make a little more sense the more we kind of dig into it. The book of Leviticus is, is basically divided into a few sections. Okay, and these sections, it's interesting. If you, if you look at the book of Leviticus, I know all of you are Leviticus experts. <laughs> if you look at the book of Leviticus, other than at the end where Moses has his prophecy and his kind of chastisement of Israel in the last chapter or two, other than that, the book of Leviticus is kind of book-ended with different similar concepts. So at the beginning and at the end, there's, there's these concepts. And, and at the beginning and at the end, we get bookended by rituals and sacrifices and holidays, okay? Uh, on either side of the book of Leviticus, on the outer sections of Leviticus. Move in a notch, and then you've got something else that they're bookended with, and that is about the priesthood, all about the priesthood. The high priest, the priest, the Kohanim. Okay, so you've got all about the priests. It's, it's towards the end and it's towards the beginning, but not at the very end. They're bookended kind of in the middle there. Then the, it kind of centering more towards the center, but also on either side of the middle, there are things that set our people apart. And there are rules and guidelines about holiness. And that's where you have cleanliness guidelines which are part of holiness, you understand. And you got the, like the kosher food laws and all, all these things. Okay, so that's, that's bracketed also on either side of, of the center of Leviticus. But the center of Leviticus, symbolically, and indeed the center of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus is the middle book. The center of Leviticus and the center of the Torah 
are chapters 16 and 17 of Leviticus. It's the center. It's the center. Yom Kippur and blood atonement. Chapter 16, Yom Kippur. Chapter 17, blood atonement. Again, not really pleasant bedtime reading. I get that. (laughs) But to really understand Leviticus, you got to go Bereshit. You got to go in the beginning. Genesis, please, chapter 1. Genesis, chapter 1. Turn with me in the Torah. You can't understand Leviticus really until you understand Genesis, chapter 1. Bavakasha. David, don't freak. I'm going to go grab my water. (laughs) David is my video camera operator today. Thank you, David and team. Genesis chapter 1, Bavakasha. You know, if we're in Genesis chapter 1, we're literally in the beginning. It's the whole beginning of the Torah. It's the beginning of the Scriptures, the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the world. Verse 26 says this, Then God said... Let us make man in our image. By the way, my Jewish brother or sister, do you notice it says us in our image? It's plural. Let us make man in our, but it's, God is one, no question. But there's a compound unity here. He is one, but in any case, that's, that's not today's message. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the flying creatures of the sky, over the livestock, over the whole earth. And over every crawling creature that crawls on the land, God created humankind in his image, not angels, by the way, in his image, it says it twice, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Down to verse 31. So God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Tov me'od. Okay, so why are we looking at this, Rabbi Kevin? It's going to make sense. So what do we see here? God created man and woman. And he gave us dominion over the whole earth. And we were made in the very image of God. And humans were different because of this. Humans were different than anything else on earth. Different than anything. And God was very pleased with his creation, He was very pleased with his creation, which included us, which included man and woman, right? And within the garden, of course, was the Etzchaim, the tree of life. And you partake of the tree of life, the Etzchaim, and you live eternally. So at this point, Adam and Eve were immortal. They just keep partaking of the tree of life. They're never going to die. Never going to die. This is this utopian state that is the Garden of Eden. And everything is good. And God is pleased. Mm. This is part of the big picture I'm painting for you. However, what happened? You all know what happened, of course. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had expressly commanded them not to eat from. 
And then we, then we get this very key verse. Let's skip ahead to Genesis chapter 3, Shalosh. Genesis chapter 3. Listen to this verse. There's something in it that you may not have picked up on before. It's very interesting and connects to our whole story today. Verse 8. So they had sinned. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, going to and fro in the garden in the wind of the day. So the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Adonai Elohim in the midst of the tree of the garden. Listen very carefully, friends. They hid themselves from the presence of God. What was it that had separated them from the presence of God? Sin. Sin had separated them from the presence of God. At this point, we are now out of kilter. We're out of this perfect state that we were in initially in the Garden of Eden. We were out of not just the perfect state, but we were out of the intended state. God did not intend or desire for us to sin in any way. He wanted for us not to sin, but he gave us free will. He didn't want robots and automatons. And so he gave us free will. And at some point, Adam and Eve, eh, they made the wrong choice. And then things are now out of kilter. It, it, things are swirling around in a way that they were not intended to go from bare sheet. In the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, skipping down to verse 23. So God had to do something. Adonai Elohim sent him, meaning Adam, sent Adam away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he expelled the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he had cherubim dwell along with the whirling sword of flame to guard the way to the tree of life. So what happens? Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden and removed from access to the tree of life, which provided eternal life for them. And they were removed from God's presence. But this all was just not God's intention. Nor was it his desire or preference. This is a really key point for you to understand. This all relates. This was not God's intention or preference whatsoever. It was due to man's choice of sin. That's why we had this separation. Isaiah chapter 59, please. Isaiah 59. As you turn to Isaiah 59... I say to you, Habakkuk chapter 1 says that God's eyes are too holy to look upon evil or sin. God's eyes are too holy. Holy is set apart, pure, different. Different than, okay? And so his eyes cannot look upon sin. They're too holy. And what does it say in Isaiah 59 verse 1? Behold, Adonai's hand is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Rather... 
your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Okay, are you getting some of this picture as more of the picture is being painted on the canvas, the big picture of what's going on here? Perhaps you're starting to see more what we have. It is us. It is because of us and that which we did slash do. It is because of what we did. It is our sins that have separated us from God. Our iniquities have made a separation between us and our God. Our sins have hidden God's face from us so that he does not hear us. We read in Isaiah 59, our sins caused this. And why? Because he is holy. He is pure. He is good. He is pure good. And when something, remember what he said about just a little leaven, just a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. So when there's that sin, he can't look upon the sin. It's evil to him. He's so pure and righteous and holy. And so this causes this this separation, this, this gulf between us and God. God here who cares for us, but, but our sin has, has, has put this, this uh, makitsa almost, this wall, in between us and him. Leviticus 11. Okay, so we've, we've established that it's man's choice of sin that separates us from God. And we also know, having read it, that it was not this way in the beginning, nor was it God's intention. Now this brings us to Leviticus. It's because of these factors that I've just described to you that we have Leviticus. And Leviticus 11 verse 45 says this, For I am Adonai who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Ah, ah, okay. As Sherlock Holmes would say, hey. (laughs) Sherlock never said that, you understand it. (laughs) but but as we're doing our detective work we see something here this is a big time clue to what it's all about and what Leviticus is all about we see here in Leviticus itself God gives us the key as to how to reestablish relationship with him so he's, he's saying to the children of Israel in Leviticus, hey, listen, I am your God. I brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, be holy, for I am holy. So he's telling us that which will restore us to relationship with him. 
And how is that? To be holy. Holiness. To be holy as God is holy. So within this, somehow to become holy is, 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 a, is a way that God is giving us a way back. He is giving us the methodology through which to return to communion with him. And this is his desire. Remember, his desire is to dwell with us. Sukkot coming up. His desire is to dwell with us. And so this separation that was necessarily there because of our sins, he hates the separation. He doesn't want the separation. This was never his intention in the first place to have a separation. And so he provides us a way back. And what is that way back? Holiness. Holiness. But brother or sister, in our own strength, we can't be holy. Holy meaning set apart, meaning different than. We can't be purely holy. We can try. We can come pretty far, but relative to the perfection of God, we just can't do it, ladies and gentlemen, this is where the book of Leviticus comes in. It's within this context he gives us the book of Leviticus because within it he gives us the requirements that will make us holy. Remember, holy means to be set apart, to be different than. And so now, with all that in context, when we look again at the book of Leviticus, I gave you the little map of it earlier. I'm going to do it again. But now when you think about it, think about it in that context and the purpose of the book of Leviticus. We look at the sections of Leviticus relative to this intent, and we'll see a different picture is painted than we may have seen before, which may be seen like disjointed, ancient, archaic things, sometimes graphic and brutal. No, it, it seems different if we look at it within this context. Why the priests, which are two sections within Leviticus, the priests, what? They are those who both represent God to the people and the people to God. So they must be distinctly holy before God. These are important sections of Leviticus. And then the things such as the holidays. The holidays, the, the, the dietary laws. The cleanliness laws. What do they do? They make us distinct from other people's. They make us to be called out or set apart unto the Lord. These are part of the definition of what holiness is. This is all part of the whole big picture of Leviticus that makes sense and comes together in a maybe a way you haven't seen before. And then, getting closer to the center of Leviticus, the rituals, the sacrifices cleanse us from our impurities and our moral failures, which are described in the book of Leviticus. 
What is that? That's getting us more and more closer to that holiness that he calls us to. And then in the very center of Leviticus is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, specifically chapter 16 and then atonement 17, those two chapters. And so we go to Leviticus chapter 17, which you should know this if you are a faithful member here almost by heart, but understanding it within this context make it come alive, makes it come alive even more. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says this, for the life of the creature is in the blood. This explains why blood. The life of the creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. It is the blood that makes atonement because of the life. We read that in the book of Hebrews also. It's the, it's the blood that makes atonement because of the life. And friends, here's the crux of why Yom Kippur and the sacrifices are so severe. Because they're intense, no doubt. I mean, those sacrifices, they're intense. But here's the crux of why. Because sin must be blotted out. Right? Remember, you got the gulf that separates us between us and God. And what is that caused by sin? And so if we're going to restore this relationship, we've got to get rid of sin. And listen, if sin came from, well, you, I know how to get rid of sin. Get rid of you. <laughs> Death is the penalty for sin. Why? Because it brings that which separates us from God and is unholy and is unclean and is impure. So death or blood is the holy penalty for sin in order to blot it out. Now this makes total sense. But of course, the only problem with this equation is once we're dead, we can't have any relationship with God anymore because we're dead. <laughs> But so we do not die, God gives us guidelines as to how to live a holy and set-apart life, and the central element of this is that the animal sacrifice was a substitute for us. A substitute for us. The animal takes our place. So it takes the penalty instead of us. But yet it's severe so as to communicate to us the severity of sin. And therefore blood must be shed. And so... <laughs> Beloved, 
with this in its right and proper context. The book of Leviticus is a book of, wait for it, it's a book of love. It's a book of love. Because the whole point of the book, the whole point of the book is to reestablish relationship between us and God. That's the whole point of the book. Don't get so bogged down in the details. Sometimes people, when you're reading some of the nuances and some of them are confusing and why is this? I don't exactly understand that. What's the purpose of this? Don't get too bogged down in the details to miss the whole point of the book. The point, my friends, is God's infinite love for us and his knowledge that in order to restore relationship with us, it requires us to be holy and therefore back in the state we were in in the Garden of Eden. See, Yom Kippur, my friends, as intense and as serious and as austere as it certainly is, Yom Kippur is all about God's love. That's what it's all about. People think of Yom Kippur as this harsh holiday because of it being about judgment, and I get that. But they, what they miss, right, Tom? What they miss is that the whole point, the whole point of Yom Kippur is the secret to averting the judgment that we are rightly due. Now, conceptually, think about that for a second. It's the way to guarantee a pardon if you're in a courtroom setting. Now, just stop for just a second and contemplate this. What judge, if you're a judge, all rise. Don't, don't stand, just maybe be seated. You know how they say that in the courtrooms, all rise. And the, you know, the judge comes in. Here comes the judge. He's wearing a black robe, actually. And he comes in and, and, and he sits there and, and, and the, the evidence is, is laid out and it's an open and shut case. <laughs> Men and women, you're guilty. I'm guilty. We're all guilty. It's open and shut. Easy, easy case to prove. Caught, caught in the ax. Guilty. All of it. What judge would freely give out the way to escape judgment? If you think about that, the judge said, all right, the judge comes and sits down and, and, and you're just fully guilty, right? And it's all out there, open and shut case, a prosecutor. And then the judge says, well, listen, okay, I'm gonna tell you something. If you wanna get off on this thing completely, if you wanna get pardoned, here's exactly what you have to do. I mean, <laughs> that sounds crazy. What judge would do that? Only one who loves us so much that he doesn't want for us to lose relationship with him. See, the purpose of Yom Kippur is love. How much God loves us. That he's giving us the answer on the test. 
So we come to the crux of the matter because it's with his heart. Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to turn. It's within this heart and with this, this incredible heart of love and desire to restore relationship that God does something even more amazing. He decides to make it even easier to restore the broken relationship between God and man through atonement from his Messiah, Yeshua, whose blood is the sinless blood of God. Listen to this as it all relates to everything we've talked about. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol, that means high priest, of the good things that have now come, this is talking about the Messiah, Yeshua, passing through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, the heavenly up in the heavens, he entered into the holies, the holy of holies like the high priest used to, once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, we read about that, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more? Will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will that cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he, being Yeshua, is the mediator of a new covenant, in order that those called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has taken place that redeems them from violations under the first covenant. Mm, Wow, did you get that? That's very, very deep. So through the blood of Messiah, we all can obtain atonement since Yeshua took our sins upon himself. Therefore, Right, Jay, Yeshua is our ultimate high priest. He's our ultimate high priest. And for what purposes? It says it in Hebrews chapter 9. So that we may receive the promised eternal inheritance. In other words, so that we can be restored to that garden and that idyllic relationship that God created with and for us to start with. That's what that eternal inheritance implies. Eternal inheritance is immortality. But that only comes through the redemption. Oh my goodness. John, please, the book of John. And to conclude... Why? 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 He doesn't owe it to anybody here, y'all. He doesn't owe it to any of us. Why? 
would God do such a thing for us? Why in the world would Yeshua go through such grief and pain? Why would he do this for us? Merely to have a relationship with us. Why? Why? It doesn't make sense in so many ways. Why would he do this for us? Wait for it. It all comes together. Here's why. John chapter 3, you know it well. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Oh. Beloved, John chapter 3 is the same message as Leviticus 16. John chapter 3, Leviticus 16, same. John 3 is the same love of Yom Kippur. Same God. Same intent. Same purpose. And so to me, that makes Yom Kippur one of the most amazing love stories ever written. And to think, he did this to have a relationship with you. title of my message is The Love of Yom Kippur. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to ask if there's anybody who's here today who's never committed their lives to God. Maybe you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart. If that's you, then wow. Yom Kippur, could you think of a better day? <laughs> the Day of Atonement. <laughs> if that's you and you're here today and you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, you've never committed your life to God, but you'd like to today, all it takes is a simple prayer, meaning it sincerely in your heart, and God will change you. It's a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah and ask that, that his blood sacrifice covers your sin exactly as he talked about in Leviticus 17. If this is you and you've never committed your life to Yeshua in a formal way, but you want to today, lift your hand and we'll pray together. Is there anybody here who's never said that prayer, but you want to today? Just raise your hand and we'll pray together. If that's you, don't let anything stop you, brother or sister. It would be the best decision you've ever made. We're not promised tomorrow. Is there anyone who's never said that prayer before but wants to today? Just lift your hand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's a little hard for me to see people on the watching online. Maybe you've never said that prayer 
to receive Yeshua into your heart. Repeat this prayer after me. God will change you and touch you. Say, dear God, I humbly come before you. I ask Yeshua to come into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand, oh God. Please forgive me of my sins. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God, in Yeshua's name. If you said that prayer for the first time and you're watching online or listening via podcast, please send us an email. We want to celebrate with you. It's the best decision you ever made. If you raised your hand and said that prayer in this sanctuary, please see me after the service. We want to celebrate with you. God, I thank you. I am so excited about this Yom Kippur. I'm excited about Leviticus 16 and its relationship to John chapter 3, which is they're the same message. And really it relates to the message of Yeshua's sacrifice. But the rationale, the reason, the heart of it is your love. Oh God, you you gave me this year, Lord, a new view of Yom Kippur. I've thought about it in many ways over the years, Lord, but never so much love this year. But I see it so clearly now, Lord. Thank you. This is a holiday of your love for us. As intense as it is. So, Lord, please help each of us, God, live our lives in such a way to be grateful for the grace and mercy that you offer us. Recognizing the big picture that you so love the world that you gave us your son, Yeshua, to be our Kapoor, to be our atonement. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Bless each and every person who's here today and watching. Bashem Yeshua, amen, and amen, and amen. And I'll say to you, Tzom uh, Kal, have a, a wonderful or a, a blessed and easy fast. And now I'm going to bring up Bruce to conclude our service. Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah, or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom.